Our gospel reading today tells a dramatic story of a blind man whose life was totally changed after he met Jesus. This man was born blind, so he could not support himself and had to beg for money on the roadside. He could not see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. John tells us that Jesus' disciples seem to also have seen him, and like a group of smart and inquisitive seminarians walking out of their Deuteronomy seminar or maybe systematic theology class, still enthused with intellectual excitement, they immediately raise sharp questions to Jesus, their rabbi. Whose sin has caused his blindness? His own or his parents? Their questions assume his suffering was caused by sin. But they also make us wonder, did they really see the man? But their rabbi Jesus really saw the blind man not as an object of theological diatribe, but a child of God with dignity not to be ignored. So Jesus defended his innocence, saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Moreover, Jesus saw his plight and the blessing in store for him. He saw God's love that was going to change his life around. So he announced He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. What did Jesus mean by God's works? Jesus explained that those were the works of revelation and salvation he was sent to the world to do. Verse 4. Indeed, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world because he will bring enlightenment a new life to this man and to us all. To reveal God's works in this man, then we see Jesus performed a miracle to restore his eyesight. Now, this is a very unique miracle. As we know, usually Jesus simply gave a comment and the sick were healed. In this case, however, Jesus took several actions, spitting on the ground, mixing the dirt with his saliva to make mud, and then spreading the mud on his eyes. These actions evoked what God did to create Adam out of dirt in Genesis. They also symbolize symbolize the descent the incarnation, and the healing touch of Jesus, the Son of God. As expressed in the Logos hymn, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Now, Jesus did all this for the blind man, but there was one thing that was required of him. If his eyesight is to be restored, he must accept what Jesus did by faith, and obey his command to wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. 
But why did he need to wash his eyes there? John the evangelist gave us a clue by saying that Silawan means sent, S-E-N-T. That translation takes us back to what Jesus said in 9.4, just, just three verses earlier about himself as the one sent by God to this world to do God's works. In other words, this man was asked to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So for John, for John, the washing of his eyes in Siloam takes on a symbolic meaning for baptism into Christ. This healing miracle could have ended in 9-7 perfectly. When the blind man came back, able to see. But it would not be a remarkable sign story, Semeong, to reveal something greater about God, as John often sees in Jesus' miracles. So the story continues. This blind man was now restored of his eyesight. Don't you think that his family and his community were supposed to be so joyful with him and singing hallelujah to the Lord? And there might be a big choir singing to celebrate his uh, recovery. To our surprise, though, the Pharisees pressured him to denounce Jesus. Even his own parents were so fearful that they could not defend him. And the synagogue, the community of faith, expelled him. All of a sudden, he was abandoned again and left alone on the roadside. At this moment of existential crisis, we're told that Jesus found him to show his concern for him, then to reveal himself as the Son of Man and to accept him as a worshiper. In other words, Jesus grants him spiritual insight into divine revelation about his true identity and about his special mission. Grace upon grace, now this man could see not only the world with his physical eyes, but also be able to see the Son of God with his eyesight is restored and his sin forgiven, and now he was ready to meet up with his risen Lord in his even higher identity as the Son of Man, the judge of the world. When he testified to Jesus boldly under the pressure of the Pharisees, he said, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Verse 25. His face continued to grow so that when Jesus revealed himself as the Son of Man to reassure him of God's final justice in protecting the believers and in helping them through all the challenges, he confessed his faith in Jesus and worshipped him as his Lord. As a model of faith, his story shows that Christian life is a continuous process of conver- converging from healing to confession to commitment to revelation and finally to communion. 
to enjoy that special relationship with God through Christ. In every step of the process, God's grace and our faith work together to open the eyes of our hearts and bring us closer in communion with our Lord and Savior. So you see, it is an allegorical interpretation to some extent, but it does provide a wonderful interpretation about how if we identify with this blind man in our encounter with Jesus, our faith can grow and our uh, uh, illness can be healed. More importantly, our eyes will open and then we can worship Jesus as our Lord. But in our context today, I think this story also reminds us another important theme. That is our human frailty. And the other one, another one, that is God's love. Our human frailty and God's love. And this is the main themes for our Lenten reflection. Two Saturdays ago was the seventh anniversary of the great East earthquake of Japan and the tsunami of Fukushima that happened on March 11, 2011. And that disaster killed 15,893 people, and there's still 2,000 mission and unknown. That disaster destroyed many cities on the east coast, northeast coast of Japan, and caused the shutdown of the Daiichi nuclear plant. In commemoration of the disaster, the NHK, the Japanese uh, 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 news agency, showed a documentary entitled the phone, the telephone, the phone of the wind whispers to lost families. I happened to have a chance to watch it with my wife. On that day, someone set up a phone booth in a small garden on a hilltop overlooking the ocean in Otsuichi town of Japan. The dial phone in the booth has a dangling line that connects to nowhere. The people are encouraged and they do come to call and talk to their lost loved ones in the earthquake and the tsunami. And they have some statistics. They find out most of the people who can to switch themselves into that little phone booth and to call that phone to talk to their lost ones tend to be middle-aged men, a lot more men than women, definitely. A middle-aged man was shot talking into the phone, asking how his wife was doing and thanking her for taking care of their parents and their daughter on the other side of life. He said he missed them very much, especially their daughter, terribly. Then in tears, he said, Honey, I'm so sorry that I could not save you when the tsunami happened. It came too fast. And it has been five long, difficult years. You know, I have rebuilt our house 
But what is the point? Now that I'm living there alone. Another moving story is a 15-year-old boy whose father was a truck driver missing in the disaster zone. This boy traveled for four hours to come to this garden to talk to this phone in of the wind. And he said, Father, why can you not come home? You know, when we talked about family in our schools, my classmates try not to talk about their fathers because they do not want me to feel sad. But it still hurts very much. Now, this boy has a sister, sister who also went into the booth and took a long, long while before she could say anything. And she said into the phone, Daddy, I'm so sorry that I often called you stink when you came home from work. You have promised to buy me a violin. But, but don't worry now. I will try to buy it myself someday. Please just come home. I miss you. For the first time in five years, this young girl cried and did her grief out. Now, this family's phone calls reminds us of the contingencies of life and the brutality of death. Indeed, by God's grace, many of us have loving families, fulfilling jobs, wonderful friends, and proud accomplishments for which we can feel satisfied and grateful. But it is also important to realize that we are made of ashes and shall return to ashes someday. Just like this blind man sitting alone, ignored, on the roadside. But if we remember that, we might be humble enough so that we can recognize our own physical limitations and our spiritual imperfections and depend on the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the light of the world. As a lantern medica- meditation on the blindness of the story, one of my favorite poems by John Milton came to, came to mind. As you know, Milton is a famous poet who wrote Paradise Lost, and he was a Puritan theologian serving as Cromwell's Latin secretary. At the height of his success in 1652, however, he became blind. A brilliant career in literature and in politics were cut short. So in his sonnet 19, Milton reflects on what his blindness meant for his vocation before God. Allow me to just recite his poem, his sonnet. When I consider how my life is spent, ere half my days, in this dark world and wide, 
and that one talent, which is death to hide, lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent, to serve there with my Maker and present my true account, lest he returning chide. Does God exact day labor, light the night? I fondly ask, but patience, to, pre to prevent that murmur, Sun replies, God does not need either man's work or his own gifts, who best, who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding, speed and post over land and ocean without rest. They also serve who only stand and wait. Indeed, we want to offer our best to serve God, but it is good to remember that they also serve who only stand and wait. Human life is frail and short. As we examine our own spiritual life, family relationship, our ministry, we have to admit that we have often erred and fallen short of God's glory. Acknowledging our blindness, acknowledging our blindness may be difficult because of pride, but it is the beginning to meeting Jesus, receiving healing, healing and finding God's peace. May our eyes be opened again to Jesus, the light of the world, who has come to renew our lives by offering his own for us.